Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. John chapter 10 will be the basis for our sermon this morning. Here, Jesus speaking says this, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The word of your God. You may be seated. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our God has some pretty awesome names, doesn't he? I don't know what your favorite is, but you think about the impressive names that God has. He calls himself Yahweh, I am. Yahweh Shabaoth, the the Lord of armies. Elohim, the creator God. El Shaddai, God Almighty. And let's not forget, he is the Alpha and Omega. He is the first and the last. Some pretty impressive names, right? Pretty powerful names. And and some of the names God has that are are really awesome are are impressive, but not because they're powerful, but because they're personal. They're, They're personally comforting. He's Father. He's Emmanuel. God with us. He's Prince of Peace. He is the resurrection and the life. In John chapter 10, Jesus gives us and gives himself another name, a name that might be one of, if not the, of all of Jesus's names, the most boring. Do you catch it? He called himself a door. He said, I am the gate. That's it. 
That's what the God of angel armies wants to tell you about himself, wants you to know about him, that the God who created everything is a door, a gate. And while it might be one of the more unimpressive names, that name and and more specifically what it means, it is one of, if not the most divisive names of all, all of God's names. While it is rather boring, it is polarizing. While it might be unimpressive, it is divisive because of what this name means. What Jesus is saying when he says, I am the gate, he's saying that there is no way to be saved except through me. With that name, he is claiming that there is no other way to the Father except through him and him alone. He is the only one who can and who does give life and give it to the full. You will not find anything else behind door number two and three because he's door number one and there actually is no other doors. So with a name like that, it's really no surprise. It's really no surprise, is it, that, well, people will say that the number one barrier to peace in the world, the number one problem, the number one concern, the number one issue with religion, with Christianity, is its exclusivity. How is it that you Christians can claim that that there is just one way, that there's just one path, one road to salvation? No one can claim that. No one can say that they have the exclusive truth. Who can do that? Christianity, to some, to many, is the biggest barrier to peace locally, globally, personally, and very profoundly. And so, are they right? Absolutely. Religion, Christianity is exclusive. And when you tell people that they have the truth, that has an effect on people, or it can have a negative effect on people. You tell people that they have the truth, and well, what they'll begin to do is start to look down and feel superior over those who, who don't have the truth. And that results in separating from those unpure people who who have the truth. And when that happens, it's very easy to start assuming the worst about those people, to start stereotyping and caricaturizing those people who don't know or don't subscribe to my truth. And when that happens, whether passively or actively, you begin to marginalize, to oppress those who who don't have the truth because after all, they deserve it, don't they? So what are you going to do? You you religious people, you Christians who who follow an exclusive faith, What are you going to do to fix the problem, the concern, the question about Christianity's exclusivity? Well, this morning, what we're going to do is look at three statements, three statements that are made 
about this question. The first two are statements that people may to, to try to fix that problem, to, to try to remedy the fact that religion is exclusive, that it divides people. But the statements, they don't hold water, they don't hold weight, or at least they don't help the problem. In fact, they make it worse. So what we're going to do is look at one more statement. The statement that the gate speaks And it's not just going to fix the problem. It's going to transform the issue and the question about the exclusivity of of Christianity entirely. What this sermon is going to do for you, Christian people who are a part of a very exclusive faith, it's going to encourage you by showing you the name and the words of the most inclusive person to ever walk this earth. So let's get started with it. Here's the first statement that the people often make to try to fix the problem about Christianity's or faith's or religion's exclusivity. Here it is. First statement is this. The first statement is that all religions are equal and valid paths to God. All religions, all faiths are equal and valid paths to God. People who make this statement are are people who either want to see religion as a whole weaken or see it just at least be put to the sideline. So people will say no one can claim that they have the sole exclusive claim to truth. And yet, it's a fair question to ask, why should I believe that? author and theologian Timothy Keller says whenever he is is given that assertion that all religions are equal and valid paths to God, he asks, why? Why should I believe that? And, And people will say, they'll say, well, no one can see the whole truth. No one can claim that that one way is the right way. And they'll often give this illustration. Maybe you've heard it before, right? That a group of blind men are walking along and what they do is they stumble upon an elephant. And because they've never encountered an elephant before, these blind men say to one another, well, let's inspect this thing by placing our hands on it. And so the first one, places their hands on the trunk of the elephant and says, it's, it's kind of like a large snake. Second one says, no, 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 it's, it's not. And because he has his hands on the leg of the elephant, he, he says, it, it's a lot like a strong pillar. Third one says, no, 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 no. As he touches the side of the elephant, he says, no, it's, it's like a strong leather-like wall. And the fourth one touching the tail says, no, it's almost like a rope. They'll say, see, in a way, they're all wrong and they're all right. No one can see the whole picture. Therefore, with us and religion, what we can conclude is that no one can claim that they have the only truth. Everyone is a little right. Everyone's a little wrong, but it is all part of the same thing. Sounds pretty, pretty good, doesn't it? Until you step back and you realize that the only way that that argument, that line of thinking works, the only way that that illustration works is if you, in fact, can see the entire elephant. If you can see the entire truth. And so the question you have to ask is, 
all religions are equal and valid paths to God, okay, but where do you have the exclusive and advantage of a vantage point that can look back and see all of these truth claims and see that all of these claims are the same, that they all really are the same one? What you're doing with this spiritual claim is making a claim of exclusivity that is spiritually superior to all the others. On its surface, it seems really humble, doesn't it? Seems really inclusive that all religions, they're all equal and valid paths to God. But it's the opposite. It is a claim of arrogance and pride that you have the wisdom that you're claiming no one else does. Not surprising that this claim is often made by people who who are not religious. And I need to point that out because the second claim, the second statement that we're going to look at, well, it comes from people who are very, very religious. They'll often say this, that all religions are inferior, except for mine. It's a claim that people will make to combat those who want to see religion weakened and they'll cite proofs, they'll cite passages and they'll, and they'll cite solid arguments to try to make their point. But the claim itself doesn't help with the problem or the concern of Christianity's exclusivity because it too is it's arrogant. It comes from a place of pride, the place where the people were whom Jesus spoke to in John chapter 10. We need to ask ourselves, who is it that Jesus was talking to when he started out these chapters and he gave the name that I am the gate? Well, let me back you up to where we were last week in chapter nine. What Jesus did is that he healed a man. He healed a man who had been blind since birth. And not only was he dealing with the excruciating situation of not being able to see, but on top of that, his religious community stacked guilt upon guilt on his family and himself. Because the Pharisees, well, they taught this as their religion, as their truth, that if you suffered a physical ailment, if you were blind, it must be because you sinned or someone else sinned. And so what they did is they looked at themselves and all of those who followed the rules and weren't blind as superior. And then guess what happened? As they looked down on this person, well, when Jesus came to him, gave him not only his eyes fight, but the eyes of faith that spiritually could see that Jesus was the savior of the world, and he claimed that? Well, they assumed the worst. They started stereotyping him, characterizing him, called him that he was someone who was steeped in sin since birth, that he was somehow worse off than everybody else. And then, though they did it before passively, very actively, they marginalized, oppressed, and sidelined this guy by kicking him not just out of the temple, but out of their community. That's what people do who claim that all religions are inferior, except for mine. Do you know what the religion of the Pharisees was? It was a religion that that looked out at God's word and was thankful for God, thankful that God had brought them into the flock, into the fold, into the community of Israel. 
but then looked out on everything that God had given them and thought in order to grow spiritually, they needed to strive. In order to get blessings, they needed to do. And so if you were a good little boy and girl in Israel and you played nice and you did kind things, God would bless you. Praise and thank God, sure, that he brought you into the flock, into the fold, but everything after that, it was about you. It was up to you in your, in your life in order to have a full and meaningful spiritual life. They were very thankful that God chose them, that God saved them, but really they didn't think that they needed all that much saving because it was up to them to have a full life, to achieve moral purity and spiritual superiority. In other words, they looked at the idea of God and his grace, that God would need to send a savior to save his people from sins, to restore a right relationship with God because they weren't that bad. They didn't need the redemption They didn't need the restoration. In the process, they really forsook that relationship with God. They looked forward to the Messiah coming, but not as a savior. They looked forward to him coming as someone who would be a a teacher, a teacher to help them be better, live fuller. It's a subtle shift, but a significant one. You see it? It's a shift that people have made in Jesus' day. It's a shift that so many, even Christians, they make today. Did you know that one of the most misunderstood and misapplied verses in all of Christianity is one that Jesus spoke to people who are spiritually blind. It's John 10, chapter 10. This is what Jesus says. He says to them, first, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. What he says Anyone who comes through me, anyone who believes in me, anyone who trusts in me has salvation. But he doesn't stop there. He says they come in and they go out, they find pasture, they find spiritual nourishment. In other words, I am the beginning, the middle, and the end. I am not just your conversion and everything else is you. I am your justification and your sanctification. I am not just your righteousness, I am your holiness. But then a subtle shift happens. When Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. What happens when people see this verse is this shift happens. It goes from seeing that Jesus has come to give life. Oh, and now I can have it to the full. I can have a a full life a life where I am fulfilled, all of my purposes, all of my dreams, all of my gifts, all of my longings, I'm I'm filled up in that way. My family, my friends, my career, my finances, these things, they can fill me up in my life. And a subtle shift starts to take place. Let me give it to you simply. So often Christians we, we are so thankful, so glad that Jesus has called us, brought us into a, a, a life of salvation with him. And very easily, 
we start to think that this life, the life that he has given us, if we're gonna have a full and meaningful life and life to the full, it's about what I do to be morally pure, spiritually superior. And a subtle shift happens, but it's a significant one. And if you're wondering if the shift is taking place in, in your heart, in your life, ask yourself, is the dominant question in your religious life, how am I doing? Or is it, what did Jesus do for me? Is the dominant question in your life, how am I doing for Jesus? Or is it, what did Jesus do for me? As you look at your religious life, ask yourself, ask yourself, is it more about your internal strivings and your internal feelings? Or is it about the external work strivings of Jesus, the external gifts that come from outside of you and that are given to you externally, righteousness that isn't from within but comes from Christ, things that are given to you through external means, the water of your baptism, the, the wine and the bread, the word spoken to you externally by a pastor. Which is it? Is your Christian life a lifestyle that looks at how I am doing and your ongoing performance? Or is it a life that looks not at how am I living, but who died for me and the past completed work of Jesus Christ? It's a subtle shift, but a significant one. And I suppose that another way of asking all of the same question is this. Did you know that sheep can jump? Check it out. Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. But you see, thieves and robbers are not the problem when sheep come in through the gate and yet jump over the fence because they see greener pastures on the other side. And that is what we do every time that we make our Christian life more about me and less about Christ. Every time that you make your Christian life more about you and less about Christ, you are not going to have life and have it to the full, but you're going to end up empty because you're going to end up crushed and killed by taking on God-sized expectations that only he has and can and did fulfill. If you start to make your Christian life more about you and, and less about Christ, you are going to experience for your soul the dark night of despair because you're going to constantly return again and again to you doing the truth, performing this work, and you're going to find more and more if you're honest with yourself, you don't measure up. 
and you're left looking at your performance and you have no hope, no peace, no relief. It's either that or you make your Christian life more about yourself and less about Christ and you're pretty proud of yourself and the truth that you have and the truth that you do and you start looking down on other people. You start looking down on other people and then you separate yourself from those people who are impure, who don't have the truth that you have or don't do the truth that you live. And then you start to maybe characterize them. You only stereotype them and assume the worst about them And maybe then it follows that probably not actively, but passively, you start to marginalize, sideline, oppress them because after all, they deserve it because they're not doing the truth that I am. It's a subtle yet significant shift. But you see, the, the gospel, it doesn't have any of that. You will not find any of that in God's word. And that brings us to the third and final statement that we're going to need to look at. The third and final statement is this. It is something not that all religions are equal, not that all religions are inferior, but that all religions are the opposite of what you find in the gospel. Listen, some gates squeak, but this gate speaks. And he says this, He says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and they will find pasture. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The idea that Christianity has exclusivity built into it, it's not only fair, it's spot on. Jesus says it. He says, I am it. I am the way to salvation. I give life. I give life so that people have it to the full. It comes from nowhere else. But listen, listen, this gate doesn't squeak arrogantly condemning all of those people who who don't have the truth or who believe a wrong truth. This gate doesn't squeak demandingly saying that you need to perform the truth. You need to do better at the truth. When this gate speaks, he speaks compassionately, calling out to you, whoever you are, opening up and awakening your eyes to the reality of what you have in Christ, in the Father, in the Spirit, who gives you life and forgiveness and salvation. What Jesus does when he speaks is he opens your eyes to the reality of what you have in him, a place with him in eternal life, a life here that is sanctified, that is made holy so that you can glorify God in this life by serving and loving other people. That is what you find when our God speaks. What you find is a message where he calls out to anybody, whoever you are, and excludes nobody, but includes everybody in the message of his forgiveness, including you. This is the gospel. This 
is God's grace. It is at one time, yes, the most exclusive message that there is, that Jesus is it. He is the way to salvation. But at the very same time, it is the only message in the world that is both exclusive and the all-inclusive, exclusive message that it does not matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you do or what you've done, that salvation is for all of you through me. And that makes all the difference in the world makes all the difference in the world for you and me that our God is an open gate. We have an open God and we have a God who is full of grace. Listen to what he says. He says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. All religions are the opposite of what you find in the gospel. Did you see what it said? It says that he has come. He's come into the world. And that says something implicitly that's, that's stated explicitly elsewhere. If he's come into the world that you may have life and have it to the full, that means he's come from somewhere else. He wasn't just born into this world. Yes, we know he was born, but we also know that back in Genesis 3, verse 15, he promised the message of the gospel, a promise repeated again and again, that the Savior who was there at the beginning and created all things with his word was the word that became flesh. All other religions have a founder or someone at the top of their religion who was born, who was created. This God says, I have came and I have come into this world. Not that you are trying to ascend to me, but I have come and I've descended into earth and I have taken on flesh to give you what no one else could, full and free forgiveness. What we find in the gospel is this, that every other religion in the world has that as their founder, someone who is born. But what you find here is an all-inclusive event that took place on Good Friday where Jesus Christ, who was and is and us calling himself the gate, put himself on the cross and opened his wide's arm to include everyone in the message of salvation. All religions are the opposite of what you find in the gospel. It's because we have an open gate for an open God and we have a God who is full of grace. He says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I ask this question, how many religions are there in the world? You might answer 300. It's probably closer to 3,000. Let's make it easy. There's just two. There's every other religion in the world that says in order for God to bless you, accept you, you need to love God and love your neighbor. And when God sees you doing that, then he will smile upon you. But that's not why you're saved. Christianity says this is why you're saved. Do you know? Do you know why it is that you are saved? It's because you know. 
you know that there is one who walked down the narrow Via Dolorosa, the narrow way of suffering, and on his way, put on his back all of your sins, the sins of the entire world, and he climbed up and left them there on a cross. He buried them in an empty tomb, and you know, this is why you're saved. You know that the one who put on a crown of thorns and who died for you didn't stay dead, but you know he rose. He who could only take down, give up his life and claim it for himself did it for you so that all may believe. He doesn't call you to do a truth, perform a thing, or do anything, but he says, believe, trust, have faith in me. That is why you're saved. Jesus is not a teacher. He is not a champion who comes and coaches you so that you can do better. He is someone who comes and saves sinners, sinners and non-performers and the unlovables and the failures at living out and performing the truth. That is why we're saved. And that is why we have life and life to the full. All religions are the opposite of what you'll find in the gospel. And you might be saying to me, Matt, I get it. I'm down with this Jesus stuff. But why do we got to talk about the doctrines? Why can't we just talk about love? Doctrines divide. Love, it, it, it unites us all. Why can't we, we just be Christian and, and talk about all of the things that are the same, that, that we have in common with other religions? And you're right. There are plenty of other similarities between Christianity and world religions. But that is not the stuff. The similarities, it's not the stuff that will make you an inclusive person to others. It'll do the opposite. And that's why we need to look at the words that this gate speaks and share them with all humility to share them with all humility, the distinct, unique features of Christianity, the things that make us different, that we have a God, we have a founder of this faith who didn't just come and be born and tell us how we can ascend to heaven, but we have the God who came from the Father, full of grace and mercy, and he was born. He took on flesh in order to bring us up to him. That makes us so different that we have a God who doesn't tell us to do a thing, perform a thing, to love others, to love him, and, and then he'll give and bless us and, and give us life to the full. But a God who just gifts, gifts and gives his grace and mercy and his gifts of faith so that you can look and believe in him. When you start speaking about those things, you might just end up looking and acting a whole lot like the most inclusive person to ever walk this earth. Like Christ, who calls you his beloved. Amen.